Hello and welcome. You are listening to Patrick Boyle on Finance, a podcast exploring ideas from quantitative finance, examining events occurring in markets right now and financial history to see what lessons can be taken away, including interviews with some of the most interesting people in the world of finance. To learn more about the podcast, visit onfinance.org. Early in the morning on Tuesday, March 8th, the nickel market, which had been wild for a while, finally broke, and the problems were starting to spread to other industrial metals too, like zinc. Nickel, whose price typically moves a few hundred dollars per day, had jumped almost $20,000 on Monday, and by 6am in London it had more than doubled again, trading at $100,000. This was a 240% price rise in just over 24 hours. A huge short squeeze was underway. We should note that the price in nickel really matters to the global economy. It's an important metal, mostly used in making stainless steel, but also used in alnico magnets and rechargeable batteries. This is not a video game retailer whose day-to-day stock price is significantly less important. The huge short squeeze triggered billions of dollars of losses for traders, leading the London Metal Exchange to suspend trading for the first time in over 30 years. This was the first major market failure since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and it showed how the removal of one of the world's largest producers of an important commodity from the financial system could lead to chaos in global markets. But there was much more going on here than just that. The London Metal Exchange made the essentially unheard of decision to not just close the market, but to cancel all 5,000 nickel trades that had been executed that day. Trades worth nearly $4 billion. It's estimated that the exchange wiped out $1.3 billion of profit and loss on the deals. They did this claiming that the decision was in the interests of the market as a whole. By wiping a whole day's worth of trades from the record books, the exchange crossed the line with traders who rely on the exchange. Not only did the exchange fail to manage the risks in a reasonable manner, but it also chose winners and losers when its role is to stay neutral and simply provide a venue for trading. So who were the winners that were chosen in this decision? Well, cancelling the day's trading activity would have been most helpful to Xingshan Holding Group, the world's largest stainless steel producer, who's estimated to have lost $8 billion on their short position. Many traders who lost out because of this highly unusual decision by the exchange pointed out that the LME is owned by Hong Kong Exchanges and Clearing, a Chinese firm. The biggest known loss was a Chinese company, and that company's biggest lender and broker who would have been hit by the company's failure is a Chinese state-owned bank. The CEO of the LME rushed to say that the decision to cancel trades was not motivated by the LME's links to its Chinese parent company. I can unambiguously say that the nationality of the participant was not a relevant factor here, he said. Okay, so we need to go back in time a bit to try and understand what led to this huge short squeeze and how could the LME have dealt better with the situation. So let's start with Zhang Guangda, 
the Chinese tycoon who owns Xingshan Holding Group. He started out his business making frames for car doors in eastern China. He then went on to pioneer new methods for producing nickel and stainless steel that made his company the world's largest producer of both metals. His nickname in the Chinese business community is Big Shot, and he has a reputation for betting big on his visions for the future. So why would the world's largest nickel producer be betting against the metal? Well, like a lot of commodities, nickel had rallied quite a lot post-COVID, as producers struggled to keep up with the surging demand. Zhang felt that the price had spiked a bit too much, but not just that, perhaps more importantly, Zhang was on both sides of the market. He was both a producer of the metal and a trader. His company, already the largest nickel producer in the world, planned to increase production by 40% in 2022. Not many people believed that he could ramp up production that much, but if he could, that much extra nickel hitting the market would likely push prices down. Now, not everyone agreed with his vision. There were some hedge funds betting on a boom in electric vehicles, and they thought that nickel prices would rise over time. But overall, analysts generally agreed with Zhang that nickel production would likely outpace demand in the medium term. Everything changed when Russia invaded Ukraine. Russia is the world's third largest producer of nickel, producing just over 10% of the global nickel that's mined. And importantly, Russia produced refined nickel, the type that's deliverable on the London Metals Exchange. Zhang produces nickel mat, also known as nickel pig iron, a low-grade ferro-nickel mined in Indonesia. You can't deliver this metal to settle short positions taken on the LME. It's worth clarifying that in commodity markets, many producers and users take short positions to hedge against losses on the physical commodities that they hold in inventories. Any price changes on the futures market should be expected to be offset by price changes in the value of the physical stock that they hold. And this does work and it does make sense as long as the traders can meet their margin calls. It's not clear to what extent Zhang saw his position as a hedge against falling prices or as a purely speculative bet. There is also a long history of commodity producers losing fortunes on huge speculative bets. And when you look at the commodity trading desks of all of the big producers around the world, you'll start to notice that they're headed up by people with backgrounds in trading at financial firms. It's not obvious that all of their trading is actually hedging or risk reduction. On March 7th, when nickel surged from $30,000 a ton to more than $50,000, LME brokers and their clients were hit with margin call after margin call. Some of the big brokers got margin calls of close to $1 billion each over the course of the day. Xingshan's margin calls were even larger, coming to around $3 billion, according to Bloomberg. The company paid some of its margin calls early on Monday, but there was a problem. While they had access to nickel, being the world's largest nickel producer, it was the wrong grade of nickel. They couldn't actually deliver this against the contracts they had signed. And while their stores of nickel would have been growing in value, offsetting their financial losses, they did after all have a valuable asset, but that doesn't mean that they had the cash to meet their margin requirement. 
As the price rose more and more, Xing Shan started struggling to pay. There was blood in the water and the LME would have known this. And this was probably the right time to halt trading. It's very reasonable to halt trading at a point like this if your goal is to maintain an orderly market, as this would give Zhang and other big traders who hadn't been prepared for this level of volatility time to arrange loans with their banks. Banks would most likely be happy to lend money against the valuable nickel that Zhang owned, but they only move so quickly. Additionally, a break in trading would have also given him time to exchange his nickel pig iron for high-grade nickel which could be delivered to the LME's warehouses to close out his position. When an exchange demands margin from a client, their broker often puts up the margin first and then asks the customer for the funds. Zhang's brokers had put up margin with the exchange while receiving no margin from their client. They were now exposed to market risk. Some started buying nickel contracts to hedge this risk, pushing the price of nickel even higher. It was a classic short squeeze as the pain for Xing Zhang, its brokers and other shorts created a self-reinforcing cycle. The LME held a special committee meeting that Monday morning to discuss the issue and decided to let the market keep trading. When the price took off on Tuesday, Xing Shan was no longer the only nickel company that was struggling. They were just the biggest one. Many producers, traders and users of nickel with short positions on the LME were now facing margin calls many times larger than they were prepared for. With nickel at $100,000, the brokers themselves wouldn't be able to meet their margin calls. Four or five LME member firms would have failed possibly devastating the global metals industry. The LME then made the near unprecedented decision to cancel all of the trades that took place on Tuesday morning, $3.9 billion worth of them. Exchanges do sometimes cancel trades when technology glitches or fat fingers cause one-off mistakes, and most traders even find that controversial but it's unheard of for an exchange to cancel an entire day's trading after the event. Doing this reset the nickel market to the moment when it closed on Monday at $48,078. Even at that price, half a billion dollars of margin calls went unpaid by clients, according to Bloomberg. Xing Shan accounted for about half of that amount, and that was just for the portion of their short position held directly on the exchange, around 30,000 tons. The company had a further 120,000 tons or more in short positions off the exchange in over-the-counter deals with banks like JP Morgan and Standard Chartered. The fallout of the LME's decision to cancel trades was immediate. Aggravated traders contacted their lawyers to take legal action against the exchange. They were furious. I spoke to one trader who saw $25 million in profits vanish due to the cancelled trades. Executives from Goldman Sachs voiced their displeasure to the management of the LME and other firms put their exchange memberships under review. Hedge fund manager Cliff Asnes took to Twitter to ask the LME to explain why people should keep trading with them if this was the way that they handled things. 
An LME broker that I spoke with told me that he had spent years convincing commodity producers that they should hedge their production on the exchange and equally spent years convincing hedge funds that it was a reasonable place to speculate. After this event, many of these clients have entirely lost faith in the exchange as a reasonable place to do business. The LME does have a competitive advantage above other exchanges around the world. It has this vast network of warehouses where the physical commodities being traded can be stored and delivered. But producers and buyers of metals don't actually need to deal with an exchange. Producers can simply lock in their prices with their customers for years into the future, negotiating both prices and credit terms. There are only so many big producers and users. This may be a less liquid market, but it would do the job. A modern commodities exchange is not just a venue for hedging though, even if they claim that that's the purpose of the exchange. They invite speculators in too who want to bet on prices and not just hedge production or consumption. Adding speculators into the mix does increase liquidity and reduces transaction costs, and it should improve market efficiency overall. Anyhow, once the nickel market was shut, Zhang had time to sort out some of his problems. According to Bloomberg, JP Morgan and China Construction Bank extended some credit to him, and Chinese authorities directed Xinjiang's domestic banks to offer even more credit lines to the firm, with the majority to be used for margin calls on existing positions on the LME. A few people I spoke to in the industry questioned whether JP Morgan would extend such a large loan to Xinxian, or at least to the corporate entity within China, as if you wire $8 billion into China, a country with capital controls in place, you might not be able to get that money back out. Only certain Chinese companies, generally state-owned ones, can send money out of the country easily. It's likely that Xinxian has an offshore entity that it uses for trading on the LME, but this type of entity is generally not very well capitalized, and banks typically wouldn't lend to them, as they would only want to lend to the legal entity that holds significant assets as collateral. But one way or another, Xinxian was now able to borrow the money that they needed, simply because they produce lots of nickel, and as the price of nickel goes up, and they lose money on their short, the value of their assets goes up too. So that's one problem solved. The next thing we learned was from China's Securities Daily that Xinxian had managed to gather enough plate nickel, which is deliverable on the LME, to settle their trades. Industry insiders were a bit skeptical about this, saying that it would have been almost impossible to collect that much plate nickel in such a short length of time, as China's not a large producer of high-grade nickel. One of the people I spoke to said that it's possible that the nickel that was sourced could be Russian nickel, which is not actually sanctioned, so legally they would be able to deliver it. But he told me that none of the Western banks that are significant players in the nickel markets would be comfortable taking delivery of that. So if that is what happened, it could cause problems in the future, as that nickel sits in a warehouse at the clearinghouse unclaimed. Another alternative would be that the Chinese government possibly released some nickel from their nickel reserves to Xinjiang in order to bail them out. Now, most of the large financial institutions would look 
on the Russian nickel as being a bit like a blood diamond. Even though Russian nickel is not actually sanctioned, people are treating it as if it is. So that would uh, add complexity to the story. So anyhow, one way or another, at this point in our story, a lot of the problems are sorted out. And so on Wednesday this week, the LME finally reopened nickel for trading, but this time with 5% price limits, meaning that it would only allow the price to move either up or down by 5%. But surprisingly enough, the starting price that they chose was the price that nickel had closed at on the Monday. That close was not necessarily an obvious price to pick, as it was part of the way through the squeeze, but it also ignored the cancel trades that had happened on the Tuesday. So in many ways, it's almost a, a random price point to have started at, and then you're gonna allow the market to move up or down a fairly small band of 5% in order to hopefully find the correct price. Now, arguably the point of taking a week off trading is to let investors line up the appropriate financing and come back to move nickel to a reasonable market price, a price that's representative of the supply demand dynamics of the industry. And there's just no reason to think that that Monday's closing price was the right price to pick. The LME could have possibly decided now that no one is forced to buy or sell due to margin calls, that they could just open the market back up and let the trading find the real price no matter what that is. But that's not what happened. On top of this, the LME announced that they would stop reporting an official price for nickel for some time. A key element of the day's trading on the LME is to generate the official prices, which are used by the industrial metals community around the world. The LME said that they'll only start publishing nickel official prices once these prices are discovered without a daily price limit being engaged during the relevant ring trading session. I guess what's happening is that the LME want the price to move to a reasonable value, but they're in no rush for that to happen. So for now, they plan on opening it at the wrong price every day for a few days, closing it instantly when it hits the limits, and then they won't report that as an official price as they recognize that this makes absolutely no sense. So anyhow, the LME finally got around to reopening, uh, referencing the price on Monday's close with a rule that the market would close if the price moved up or down more than 5%. And when it reopened, the reasons for this short squeeze had disappeared, so the market opened down 5%. A few trades occurred outside of this price band, which obviously shouldn't have happened, and so the LME went and canceled them. Yeah. Uh, so now the price was just too high and the LME had basically come to a situation where they were going to let the price fall back to whatever fair value was, but slowly. And I'm not sure how this makes any sense, but the next day they did it again. But to speed things up, they widened the bands to 8%. The start of the second day of trading was delayed till 8.45 a.m. after a series of problems hit the LME's electronic system. A few trades managed to go through before the market was officially started, and these were once again cancelled. And when the market finally opened, futures dropped by the daily limit of 8%, but only two trades occurred. So for today, the limits were set even wider at 12% and the market went limit down right away at the open once again. 
Matthew Chamberlain, the CEO of the LME, told CNBC that the exchange had deliberately prioritized stability by setting a relatively narrow range of daily trading limits, but these could soon be widened if the exchange observed a more orderly market. This mess just piles further embarrassment on the LME. The exchange is allegedly in discussions with its regulator, the FCA, and with the PRA in England as well, which monitors its clearinghouse. And the regulators have made no comments to the press on the matter. I guess I should finish up by pointing out that metal trading has been such a fiasco this week that the mining industry has possibly become a meme. Uh, Adam Aron, the CEO of AMC, announced a few days ago that AMC was buying a gold mining company. He described it on Twitter as a bold diversification move. and. I suppose that's probably true. Um, It is a gold mine that does not appear to actually be mining gold at the moment, but it did go public via a SPAC in 2020, which is very important for meme stocks. And I guess in many ways, gold is possibly history's oldest meme investment. So I'm sure that that'll go well too. AMC did actually rally on the news. Anyhow, that's it for now. Have a great day, and I'll see you again soon. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Thank you to everyone who is supporting this content on Patreon. If you enjoyed this content, you can find more like it on YouTube, on the Patrick Boyle on Finance channel, or follow us on Twitter at Patrick E. Boyle. Thanks for listening. Bye.